0: to the Dason Digest. Today is January 31st, 2023. We're recording. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Ray Perez, one of our esteemed fellows, to talk about an article entitled Association Between C. difficile testing results and decision to treat. Just for everyone uh, who may be joining us for the first time or, or new to our podcast, this is our podcast that we as Deson Liaisons and Physicians do on a regular basis to uh, review some of the latest and most interesting articles that are published in the medical literature. This is a sort of a a journal club. We tend to focus on antibiotic stewardship and infection prevention articles, simply because that's just what we tend to be reading the most, but we're certainly not limited to these topics. And we'll bring things up like vaccines, treatment-related discussions for certain infections, infectious syndromes, et cetera. And we are interested in hearing from you, our site members and fans, to let us know what topics you might be interested in hearing more about. So, uh, as I mentioned today, we're reviewing this article called Association of Closteridioid Difficile Infection Testing Results and Decision to Treat. This was published in 2022 in Infection Control and Hospital Epi. This is the lead author is Martin Evans. And they are a group uh, based out of the VA and Washington, and some of the authors are also based out of uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, It is a concise communication. We will have this article linked. So, uh, Ray, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Do you mind giving us a a, a summarization of the article? Yeah, absolutely. I thought
1: this would be a fun thing for us to talk about because Gosh, just being on on clinical service in the hospital, I feel like questions about C. diff and with the two step testing are things that we just encounter all the time. Um, this is something that a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with, but as a bit of background, so we've had this sort of roller coaster in uh, C. diff reporting metrics. Uh, so historically, we use the EIA immuno uh, assay to look for toxin production, and but that was plagued by not being particularly sensitive and often us do repeat testing, then the new PCR test came out and people moved to that. And all of a sudden we're detecting all oh, of this C. diff. And now we've moved to the main recommendation being to do these two-step tests where we do a uh, PCR followed by uh, EIA immunotoxin, uh, amino assay for the toxin production. But you know, a lot of times we get these mixed results and I feel like clinicians on the front lines are often struggling with what to do with that. And it brings the question of what's actually happening out there in the real world now that this has gone live for a while. And, you know, I thought this was a a nice picture of just what's going on because it uses a large data set. So this was a retrospective analysis of uh, all unique VA patients nationwide who had uh, mixed CDI testing over a two and a half year period from October 2019 to March 2021. So the study initially included all 134 acute care VAs, though worth noting that at the time of the study, only 34 out of the 134 VAs, or about 26%, actually performed two-step testing as part of their uh, routine analysis. And this is something that I think is actually kind of interesting and important here, because when we're talking about C. diff reporting and trying to interpret, gosh, how is my facility doing relative to the national standard? I think the real question I find myself asking is are we even comparing apples to apples here when we're thinking about reporting metrics for C. diff infection?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good that's a relevant question. And quite frankly, we're we're probably not. They try to the NHSN tries to adjust the expected infections based on the test that is being performed last. So you'll have a different number of expected infections if you are using only pcr if you're using pcr in the last step of your P, of your two-step uh, algorithm and so they try to adjust and try to uh to be able to compare benchmark hospitals using different uh testing techniques however it, it's not perfect and so uh, one thing uh part of this story that you mentioned earlier the uh in the c testing that is also relevant is the the lab ID module for C. diff testing. The NHSN tried to reduce the reporting burden of this particular metric by just calling it a lab ID. So all you report is just the positive test and then the time uh, relative to their patient's admission to come up with the actual outcome. And so instead of having to go back and do a retrospective chart review like we do with surgical site infections, et cetera, and because of that, it actually has kind of pulled it further away from a clinically relevant definition and just made it a purely surveillance definition. And so uh, I think uh, NHSN and CDC have been trying to think about how do we make this a more relevant, uh, clinically relevant definition uh, for our uh, facilities that we can respond to uh, and, and are also clinically relevant to the frontline uh, providers and patients. And what has actually happened is they've decided that to update the definition to include um, C. diff infection, positive test, as well as administering treatment, specifically metronidazole, bancomycin, or fidaxomicin. So this is a new metric that is going to be updated. We should find more about this being collected and submitted. This year, if, if we, we won't be required to report it until it's been validated. And so it's, it's at least another year, maybe two years before it'll be required for reporting purposes. Uh, and, and then, and therefore, the subsequently uh, paid for performance. Uh, but the new definition is, is probably going to be called uh, hospital onset treatment. C. diff associated or treated aso- C. diff associated, uh, HOT for short, CDI, uh, which is kind of an interesting name, um, but more to come on that particular uh, uh, metric. But all, the, all that being said, that brings this whole uh, article and, and conversation uh, to the forefront of our, all our minds. Yeah, so
1: I think we'll get into what exactly they found in this study, but I think it really helps provide further evidence for why that maybe that change in reporting definition was needed. Um, So another thing I noticed uh, as we're thinking about some of the problems with their current metrics is because the tests that hospital use change, it may be hard even for one individual center to compare internally. So, you know, the authors for this study mentioned that in 2017, 85% of VAs used the PCR test alone, but by the conclusion of the study in 2021, only 48% of EAs were using the PCR test alone for their diagnosis. So um, just another reason for uh, that, we're seeing that movement towards a different metric and really focusing on what's the clinical assessment of this as opposed to just the lab test on its own. Um, So what did they actually find getting into that a little bit more? Uh, So thinking about how much testing was done, they had almost uh, 89,000 C. diff PCR tests performed over the study period. a positivity rate of about 16%, which didn't meet with other kind of published literature and what you'd expect for people with a reasonable pretest probability getting tested. Um, They looked when they looked at who had mixed results, uh, that was a little bit more challenging since only 34 of the VAs were using the two-step process. So they ended up with a total of 2,374 Mixed results. So a PCR positive with a negative follow-up toxin EIA. Um, it's the paper made it a little bit challenging to see, you know, what the total number of those two-step tests were. But they did say that across all 134 VAs, only 11,000 uh, immunoassays, the EIAS were completed. So what I thought was really interesting, just looking at this figure from the from the paper and thinking about that. One clinical question I found myself asking the last time I got asked about this is how often do we actually get this result? Are these discordant results rare or are they fairly common? And so if you assume that every single one of the EIAs done in the VA system, which is surely not entirely accurate, um, was part of the this two-step test, that, that with, 2000, with 2,300 that had mixed results, that would mean that 20% of the time when you're doing a two-step test you're getting discordant results if anything is actually higher than that since presumably some VAs are using the EIA alone Um, and so to think that gosh almost a fifth to a quarter of the time you're getting this confusing result um, it really does bring into question like the you know it really doesn't make a lot of sense why people are confused about it yeah it's something that happens all of the
0: time. Yeah, you want to you kind of wonder what's the clinical utility of doing the two steps sometimes. Uh it's just gonna create more confusion. and and so I, I have to go back to think about like what are we actually testing, right? There's the 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 PCR is the testing DNA, so it could be live, dead, uh colonized C diff uh from the colon. And, and the point of doing that EIA next step, uh, or at least in that second step, is to try to detect actual toxin being produced. So is the one is the C. diff there. Is it is it a virulent strain Two is it an active and happy strain, meaning it's gotten uh, taken a chance to, to recolonize and overpopulate your colon and then start producing enough. Uh, toxin to, to produce a, an infection, and that's what that EIA is trying to find. But remember, that EIA was, is not an overly sensitive test, and so what we tend to tell people is if you've got a toxin uh, negative but PCR positive patient, and they they have clinically significant bacteria, I mean diarrhea that is is without another culprit. Uh it, it may be relevant to treat that, but that at that point it has to be a clinical decision. I think that's where we get this window of gray area when we're when we're taking a step back and just thinking about it from, from uh uh not being on the front lines and trying to look at aggregated data. Uh it, it can be very difficult to assess. Um one thing that, you know, you and I have been talking about before we started this is, is a, a study from uh, Chris Polage and colleagues in 2015 that showed these particular patients with disconcorded results with a the toxin EIA and, and a positive, a negative toxin uh, EIA and a positive PCR. For the most part, they tended to have diarrhea that lasted the same amount of time as those without a positive PCR suggesting that may not actually be worth, uh, or you may not actually need to treat. So that's where I think, for instance, the CDC and um, most people can come down recommending that you don't necessarily have to treat those patients that are PCR positive and and toxin negative. But there again, it's still got to be a clinical uh, decision uh, by that frontline provider yeah and so looking at
1: what these v a provider did providers did in particular, so of the uh two thousand three hundred and seventy four tests that had discordant results, a positive p c r test with a negative uh antigen test afterwards, um seven hundred and two or just about thirty percent ended up getting treatment prescribed, and so they the the clinicians made the decision, hey this patient's having clinically significant diarrhea. I don't have an alternative cause. Even with this pattern, I think they do merit treatment. Um, and that is really interesting to think about what, what you were describing with the current lab reporting metrics. So could we be missing out on as much as 30% of hospital onset C. diff uh, that is just not getting reported with our our current metrics? And how is that skewing some, some of our other data? Um, I think the big question I find myself wondering is like you said, it's a clinical decision. 30%, does that seem right to you? Does that seem high,
0: low? You know, how do we how do we try to make sense of that? Yeah, that's a great question, Ray. Um it feels like it sounds appropriate. I mean, I I think of patients that I encountered the past few weeks on service in the hospital, and uh, quite frankly, I did see a bunch of cases of. PCR-positive and toxin-negative, ne- uh, almost incidentally. You know, I'm being consulted to see them for some other uh, reason. Uh, and one particular sticks out to me is this patient was a, a PCR-positive, toxin-negative two weeks ago and uh, developed diarrhea again and is now PCR-positive and toxin-positive. Uh, and, and they initiated treatment on him, obviously um and so you know I, th- I think if we can think about it uh and bring these uh tests back into uh clinical relevance and not just uh think about them in surveillance definitions um we have to continue to use our uh uh diagnostic stewardship uh capabilities as well as our clinical um uh, assessments to decide whether or not it, the, these these testing and results, uh, how relevant they are. Uh, unfortunately, there's just not necessarily a right or wrong answer that applies to everyone. Uh, but 30% is, is the first number that I've seen, and, I, and hopefully we'll get some more information as other people start looking at the same uh, the same finding. What do you think? Do you think that 30% is, is something that seems clinically uh, uh, consistent with what we're seeing in the hospital? I think it's hard to say, because I think uh,
1: that, you know, we're not all always called for, you know, these decisions that a lot of primary teams can make on their own, you know, knowing that data from Dr. Polich, who we have the pleasure of getting to work with right here at our institution, you know, I would say that I've generally taken a, a more conservative sort of wait and see off treatment approach. And because if it ultimately isn't going to be changing their outcomes, then is it, you know, do I, I don't feel, I often don't feel that pressure to, unless the patient is really seeming at all to, to push forward with, uh, with treatment. So mm-hmm. I think that struck me as a little bit high, but, um, I haven't been at this quite as long as you have.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure how to take that, Ray. <laughs> yeah. No, really, I appreciate you, uh, uh, talking with me about this. It will certainly, uh, Be interesting to watch as it starts to uh, this metric starts to be evaluated for further validated and we start to think about this in our own facilities and track results here. Uh, We have we have a lot uh, to learn. Um, And uh, I think, quite frankly, it just makes our antibiotic stewardship and diagnostic stewardship uh, efforts all that much more important. And uh, with that, we can conclude the podcast for today. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and we will be back in two weeks with another one.